Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. You are listening to The Humane Podcast. Humane is your first look at the startups and industry titans that are leading and disrupting artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education. I am your host, David Jakobovich, and you are listening to Humane. If you like this episode, remember to subscribe and leave a review. Now, on to the show. Today, I'm speaking with Dr. Carrie Jordan, the executive director of The Carpentries. This organization is near and dear to my heart. In fact, it's one of the first ways that I joined moving from the data and big tech world into the open source industry. And uh, we'll talk about in the show today how I came to The Carpentries and all the great work they're doing and what Carrie's doing in the evolution of open source learning. Dr. Carrie Jordan, thanks for being with us today. David, thank you for having me. Wow. It's been a long road getting to this podcast. <laughs> it's a long road, but you know the road continues. And we've seen in 2020 that open source and communities are growing and more important, especially as we're in this digital first world. I'd love our listeners to hear about what your journey's been to open source and at the Carpentries. Sometimes I'm almost embarrassed to say this, but I had not heard of open source until I started working with the Carpentries and more specifically data carpentry. You know, I come from an engineering background by trade. I'm a mechanical engineer. I went to school for mechanical engineering 
And I plan to, you know, work in manufacturing. And somewhere along the way, I fell in love with the nonprofit space, switched my topic during my PhD studies from mechanical engineering to engineering education and worked through getting a PhD, doing a postdoc. And a couple of years ago, I saw a job posting for deputy director of assessment for data carpentry, loved everything about the organization. And it was not until I joined as a team member with data carpentry that I heard the term open source. So needless to say, I did a lot of Googling when I first started with data carpentry. I had no idea what open source was. You know, I know for me, my journey to the carpentry started, I think it was around five or so years ago. I was still living in Florida at the time before I moved to New York. And I was on this very new platform called Twitch. And (laughs) at the time, yeah, five years ago, I don't think Twitch was huge yet, but um, there was this PhD person, developer, fellow teacher who I've worked with from the Carpentries, who is live streaming coding in Python. And I was visiting New York for the weekend and I said, hey, are you are you in the city? Because he was live streaming from a Starbucks in Manhattan. And he was like, sure. And we met and we got a coffee and we talked about code. And, you know, long story short, you know, he's a contributor to open source and to some of these big tech startups. And that got me into open source. And, you know, we think about everything with the carpentries, whether it's data carpentry focused on data literacy skills or software carpentry and foundational computer science skills, or even library carpentry focused on, you know, digital literacy around, um, you know, consuming content and, and high quality media. Traditionally, all of this has been in person. And we've potentially flipped the classroom this year. How has been adjusting to remote been for your team and for all the universities that you partner with? The funny thing is, in terms of my team, I and shout out to my core team. We call ourselves the core team, those whose you know, full-time kind of role is working for the Carpentries. We are a remote team. There are about 12 of us working for the Carpentries. I live in Florida. We have team members in California, in Estonia, in France, in South Africa, in Canada. You know, we're all over the place and we work remotely full time. So the shift that we've seen over the past couple of months from a teamwork perspective has not changed, but in the way we deliver our Mm. workshops has totally changed. And of course, you know, a lot of our team members have extra co-workers, whether it be a small child or an animal or something like that, you know, having to work from home because of the pandemic. But we've had to move our workshops online. And it's been a challenge because part of the Carpentry's pedagogy truly is the act of learning, the feedback, the in-person, two-day, positive learning environment, diverse, inclusive learning environment, again, in-person. How on earth do we translate that experience to a virtual format? And if we do, will learners leave having that same level of excitement, the same learning, the same thing that they would have learned in a two-day in-person workshop? So those are sort of things that we've focused on when moving our workshops online, making sure that the quality in our brand stays the same. But I have to tell you, 
the core team, we can't do it by ourselves. The entire community has rallied with us in order to move our workshops online. And we've gotten so much feedback from instructors all over for what's working, what's not working, how to make the workshops more accessible. It's just been phenomenal. I had no idea that we would be doing this (laughs) when we started this year, that's for sure. In learning, the modality keeps changing, but the curriculum, you know, and the outcomes are still the same. High impact, transformational learning. And, you know, my involvement with the Carpentries, I've seen firsthand the opportunity through working with places like, you know, uh, Fermilab or Harvard Medical School or NYU Langone. And it's incredible to see how Anyone can code. Anyone can learn technology. And now's a better time than ever to get into tech. You know, I didn't know if you were going to mention this too, David, but I've seen such growth even in your involvement. You know, I've been with the Carpentries a few years now, and you have been a pillar for our mentoring program. And I was trying hard not to give you a shout out, but I have to give you a shout out. Because you really were one of our key mentors and moving in terms of confidence and helping Mm. those newbies, so to speak, get involved with the carpentries. So I just want to give you your your roses while I'm here and say thank you so much, because if it were not for mentors such as yourself, continuing to leverage your own expertise and your own passion, really, for data encoding and sharing that with the community, we would not have a strong community like we do now, or we wouldn't we wouldn't be able to teach as many instructors, or we wouldn't even attract people, right, to coding and data if we didn't have mentors like you who are championing our cause. So thank you so much. Thank you for those warm fuzzies. And, and <laughs> as, as you put it, um, you know, the Carpentries has always been community first. It's always been about diversity. It's always been about scaled impact and outcomes. And, you know, today, a lot more of that's possible than ever before. I I know recently that, you know, you've received some fantastic grants to partner with some leading organizations. What is some of that new opportunity possible for the Carpentries? Oh, it's so great. So we received quite a substantial amount of support from both the Moore Foundation and the Chan Zuckerberg Initiative. And this funding will help us scale our instructor training program. What we've learned is that our instructor training team from, you know, from a a core team perspective is about three people, right? But we serve a very large instructor pool. And so we needed to have space in order to improve the workflows for our instructor training program so that we can train more people to teach workshops and so that we can train people to teach workshops in the language and they're in the language that they want to teach in, you know, in the areas that they want to teach in. And so the funding that we receive will help us build and scale our instructor training program, our maintainer program as well. We have about 33 collaboratively developed lessons right now. And those lessons need help, right? Not only to maintain the content, but we get a lot of questions and comments and feedback on our lessons. And so we need maintainers 
in order to keep those lessons going and keep them relevant, right? And also our curriculum development. I can't tell you how many times a week I get an email, you know, from a potential partner or a potential instructor that says, hey, I want to have a lesson, you know, a carpentry style lesson in genomics or astrophysics or engineering education or botany. And so it's up to us to build the infrastructure for community members to build lessons, you know, using our curriculum development handbook and things like that. So we're trying our best to build infrastructure such that community members can support the work that they want to do and not not so much rely on the core team. You know what I mean? And from thinking of the core team to the maintainers, everything at the Carpentries is open source. So, you know, if you're student today listening to the podcast who wants to pick up something in astrophysics or genomics around coding, you can. You can go to carpentries.org. You can experience all that. And it's incredible to see how, as a community, we weren't really thinking a decade ago about open source being the change agent for education. But fast forward into the 2020s, that's where we're at. And part of that is to create these equitable and accessible outcomes, which we've thought about from a perspective of like, well, money, right? Does a degree cost $200,000 to learn Python? (laughs) Or, Or could there be a different conversation, right? Can learning perhaps be more affordable? Can we look at universities like in Europe that education is free? And perhaps... The Carpentries is beginning to fill some of that need to show that you can learn high quality, top quality, open source. It's definitely at the top of my list and something that I think about so much. You know, even open source is a part of a deeper conversation around data science, right? I remember I was in I was in a working group and there were representatives from industry academia, the nonprofit sector, government. And we were having a conversation about the skills needed in order, the skills that students need in a data science curriculum. And when I tell you, everyone had something different to say about what skills are actually needed in order to, for someone to call themselves a data scientist, everyone had a different narrative, right? What's important in industry may not be extremely important in academia, or it just depends. And so the same thing for open source. What's important in open source for industry may be totally different than what's needed in nonprofits. So how can we truly say what education would look like or what a program would look like or what a degree would look like and how much that would cost if there's so many different pathways. And I I love that there's so many different pathways, right? Again, I had no idea what open source was, but now I can advocate for it and we can offer opportunities for, you know, workshops, right? That you may not get at a university, but what does that mean for a degree program or how does How can I justify paying or having someone pay for a four-year degree to learn open source or to learn reproducibility or, you know, all these things when they could 
come to a couple of carpentries workshops. It's just a, it's a very interesting conversation around the curriculum and who owns it and how it's shared. It's very interesting, <laughs> but I definitely shift. Yeah. And this shift is so interesting because we've seen it in the software industry for many years that the movement was to open source. And the data industry has been a lagging indicator, typically around 10 years behind. But we're seeing that that catch up right now where the knowledge, the training, the shift is moving, where anyone today can go on GitHub and fork a repo and pick up, you know, a topic and be coding in minutes, which is incredible to see that shift. And what do you think is sparking the growth in open source or the growth or interest in the carpentries? I honestly think that it has to do with problem solving. And I think it comes from a desire to want to solve problems in your own community or to want to solve problems that you see Things that have been problems for such a very long time that have not been solved. (laughs) You know, for me, this is why I talk so much about not only diversity, but inclusion, right? It's not enough to invite diverse people to the room. You have to give them ways to be engaged and to have their voices heard. And so contributing to open source projects, more people are realizing, hey, I don't have to be a doctor or a scientist or, or work, you know, for 30 years in a lab in order to solve a problem or to contribute. One of the carpentry's core values is to value all contributions. And we honestly mean that. You may be a brand new person to code or to, to data or science or librarianship, but you have a piece of knowledge that I don't have. You have an experience that I don't have. And so if we put together all of our bits and pieces of knowledge and experiences, think of the kinds of problems that we could solve. So that's really what it's about for me, just bringing people together from all backgrounds and giving them the space to contribute what they have, because every contribution truly does matter. And those contributions, we see the shift in both big tech and small tech that, you know, when you talk today to champions at big tech, like the Googles, the Facebooks of the world, you can talk to leaders who say, ah, before your degree, maybe not as important. And I recently had a conversation with one of these leaders and they said, okay, here are four interesting things we think about that could be a good indicator that you're a good fit in tech, right? And so one of them was, ah, maybe you compete, right? Maybe you do the Kaggle, the Leet Code, the Top Code, the Olympiad, so you're a math buff. Second, maybe you're a Dr. Carrie Jordan, maybe you're a PhD. <laughs> it has uh, its part. Has the perks. Third, you know, maybe you're someone who builds projects in code and you like to, you know, share them with the world, whether you sell them or you open source them. Or fourth, where you are a contributor or maintainer to an open source project. Absolutely, because we need each and every one of those roles. You know, it also has a lot to do with personality types, you know? Yes, 
I am the executive director of this organization. I, I, I tend to be, you know, a little outgoing, a little extroverted. <laughs> I don't mind putting myself, you know, in front and things like that. But there's also someone who would be terrified to be on this podcast, to speak in public, but put them in front, put them, you know, in front of a computer or open up our studio or open up Jupiter Notebook and they can go for it, right? They know what they're doing and they love teaching and they they know what their zone of genius is. And that's why I'm very happy that the contact that you were talking about had outlined those four different ways, pathways. It really is about pathways. Everyone's journey to open source is going to look different. I was in a mentoring session. There's a young lady who reached out to me via LinkedIn, actually, because she wants to get involved in open source and she wanted to know how to do it. And I hope we didn't end the conversation with me confusing her because there really is so many different ways. <laughs> you know, there I could not tell her, okay, you need to sign up for GitHub and, <laughs> you know, learn art. No, there's so many different pathways. So I had to ask her, you know, I had to go even deeper. Why do you want to learn open source? What kinds of problems are you trying to solve? What's important to you? Because there's so many ways that you can go about being involved. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage? Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. And you said such a fundamental word, Carrie, that I've heard a lot of conversations this year that have flipped the classroom and they've said, it's not a pipeline problem. Usually in tech, we'll think, oh, it's it's the number, right? Like we need to, there's, there's not enough talent. It's a pipeline problem. It's not a pipeline problem. It's a pathway problem. David, it's a pathway problem because what is a pipeline? There's one way in, there's one way out. There may be some, a leaky pipe you know, there may be some some places in the pipe that have a leak where people kind of slide out of the pipeline. But a pipeline, if I'm imagining, this is always an interesting analogy for me because I did work in oil. I, I worked for a maritime petroleum company. So when I imagine pipeline, there's one way in and there's one way out. How does that leave room for 
someone who comes from an underserved community or a community that's historically underrepresented? What if they don't have the same access as someone from a more affluent situation? Does that mean they can never be a part of an open source community or contribute to an open source project? So that, yes, it is about pathways. There's no wrong way to get involved. There are many ways that you can get involved with open source and with data. You know, we've been having a lot of these conversations that have been very life-changing, I think, for a lot of team members at Galvanize in the last few months, as I'm sure you've experienced not only firsthand, but through all of your friends and family, that the pathways that should be there just are not there. And these are the heartbreaking conversations that we've been having in big tech. You know, Galvanize, we're all about pathways. I mean, we have a $1 million scholarship fund. Our CEO is a brown person of color. Our CEO of K-12 uh, and our board is predominantly black. So we, we have that diversity that we're like living and breathing for the organization. But we're not the only company. And the Carpentries is not the only company. We're, we're only part of the solution. That's right. And that's one reason why it's so important for us. Even, again, this is me giving you your flowers. You know, thank you for allowing me to speak on this podcast because you have such a huge platform that there may be potential partners out there who align with the Carpentries mission that I may be never heard of. I'm learning about new organizations every single day. Every day I'm learning about a new, not necessarily new, but an organization that I had not heard of before who's working in open source, who's advocating for open source. I heard of, you know, OpenSider, the Academic Data Science Alliance. I mean, I can just go on and on and I'm like, wow, there are so many people. And this is, again, Those are just two that I named that are possibly U.S.-based. Just think internationally. There are hundreds of organizations dedicated to allocating resources, to providing opportunities for people to get involved with data encoding. And it's not the responsibility of one organization to do all the work. The Carpentries, I feel like our zone of genius really is that training teaching data skills, training that that type of pedagogy. But make, what about, um, we have great resources for teaching lessons, but what about diverse data sets? That's not an area that the Carpentries is, you know, an expert in. That's not really our zone of genius, but maybe there's another organization that focuses more so on the kinds of data sets that you would teach in a workshop. You know, there's so many ways, so many organizations that, we could collaborate with in order to achieve our mission. And so it's really important for this opportunity for access and and just sharing what we do is so important. And it is about having diverse data sets because if there's anything we've seen, at least lately in the news, a lot of the data sets around crime, around credit, around COVID are not diverse. And that's been creating a lot of challenges and a lot of heartaches, whether it's with finance, whether it's with jobs. And I think there's a lot of room for improvement. 
And part of it is, you know, making sure that outcomes from the beginning are set up for success with diversity and inclusion. And I'd love to dive deeper. I know you've done a lot in the training and assessment space, and you take a lot of pride with assessments. I mean, how do we meet learners where they're at with these assessments? I really think that you have to come into the situation knowing that you may not have all of the answers and all of the knowledge. I also think it's important to identify what what do we want to get from the assessment of a program? So I'll give you an example. When I first started with data carpentry, I was responsible for kind of doing an overhaul of our of our assessment program. We have plenty of surveys. We had collected tons of data about our workshops and whether or not they're working. And we thought initially, let's measure whether or not someone can actually write a script. Let's measure whether or not someone can actually, you know, solve a problem using code. And what we learned in going through that exercise and kind of piloting those more skills-based assessment surveys, especially in different communities, was that they had a negative effect on the participants. Participants were coming, especially novices, they were coming into the workshops excited about taking the workshop, excited about what they were learning. And then when they took the pre-survey, it felt more like a test to them. And their confidence dropped because they felt, oh my goodness, I'm supposed to know this already? So we had to take a step back and say, do we want individuals to leave our workshops knowing how to write a perfect script? Or do we want them to have confidence in searching for the answers? Do we want them to have increase in their self-efficacy? Do we want them to be able to join a community and continue their learning? So when I look at assessment of any kind of program, I really ask myself, what are the intended outcomes of the program? What do you want for your participants to walk away with? That's extremely important to the Carpentries. We don't want anyone leaving our workshop feeling worse than when they came in or feeling that, I'm never going to learn this. I'm never going to get this. It's more so about that self-confidence piece, that belonging to a community. That's what it's all about. And eventually, you're going to learn some code. (laughs) You're going to learn how to code. And learning how to code and being part of a community is what I hear a lot about asking the questions. I mean, you know, we're not all going to be able to recite hundreds of lines of code from our mind. And with where some tech startups are going, soon we'll be able to autocomplete a lot of the code. So that's where we come in to help strategize and and make sure everything makes common sense. And I think that ability to search is underrated. I mean, isn't that what a PhD is anyway? You're reading through so much research, right? (laughs) It's all searching. Searching for the answers, trying to fill the holes. (laughs) And I think that's part of the conversation we're seeing with open source and we're seeing with like unbounded education or uncommon schools that, you know, you don't need to necessarily have that master's degree and you can be just as successful. You potentially have just as much grit, as much resilience, as much persistence and discipline 
as that other individual. And perhaps now this new digital world, we're going to see more of that shift. The shift is here, David. You know, I was thinking about, so I'll give you an example. I have a 16 year old niece and she's visiting for a month. And we were talking about, you know, she's going into the 11th grade and she's thinking about what, what she wants to pursue. I I don't ask her what she wants to be when she grows up because I feel like I don't even know what I want to be when I grow up, but what does she want to pursue? And she gave me at least five different answers. I want to be an influencer for this. And I want to run a website that does this. And I want to do, you know, I want to create video games and I want to be a cartoonist for manga. (laughs) Now, that's my 16-year-old niece. My father, by contrast, he worked at Ford Motor Company for 47 years, and that was it. (laughs) You know, so again, pathways, pathways, it's all about pathways. There's no wrong way. And I very much appreciate the fact that industry is acknowledging a four-year degree may not be the answer for everything. There are things that I definitely learned in college. I'm, I'm, I'm very happy that I went to college. It taught me how to be organized. You know, there's lots of things that I learned being at a four-year university. But industry is noticing that you can pick up skills along the way. You can take a two-day course. You can take a, you know, a month-long seminar and be just as effective in your role and learn just as much. So it's all about pathways. And those pathways include, you know, that you could land a job by contributing to open source. So we've been talking in today's show that the Carpentries is looking for maintainers. And, you know, who can be a maintainer? Do you need to, you know, know C++? Like, what do you need to know to be a maintainer? (laughs) Patience, David. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my goodness. (laughs) They're going to get me when I when they hear this. No, you know, to be a maintainer, we the thing about our maintainer program is that we offer a very comprehensive onboarding to our maintainer program. And so we for all of our programs, we don't throw you into it and say, here are you know, here's a repository with 100 you know issues and pull requests. Go handle this. You know, if you have an interest in lesson development, if you have an interest in community engagement, if you have an interest in, you know, learning R, learning Python, learning version control, learning the shell, learning SQL, and you have a couple hours, one or two hours a week extra, you can be a maintainer. You don't have to be proficient in any of, you know, the programs. You have to be patient and know how to be, you know, know how to be organized and how to facilitate conversation around the lesson. And again, we offer a very comprehensive onboarding. You'll work directly with our current maintainers. We also have associate director does a lot with our maintainer community. She's on our core team. So all of our programs, we don't just kind of throw you in. There's a nice onboarding you get a lot of experience, community calls and things like that to help you prepare. And, you know, there's a lot of diversity there, right? It's not just the Python, the R, the SQL. 
I recall as someone who's been a contributor over the years that in the last couple of years, there was this heated debate about, as you may recall, like the GitHub, GitLab battle, right? And that's, that's right. Um, you know, I think uh, whether it was yourself or one of your team members from Carpentry said, we know someone pretty level-headed. So, so I actually was facilitating these GitHub conversations. And I'll tell you, it's incredible because we put a call to the community on Twitter and we got people directly involved with Carpentries, people who were never involved, but who followed us. And, you know, it's like, we're very much about thinking about problem solving, like you said, like thinking about scientific mindset, like there's not really a right or wrong, but like, let's objectively look at this and see why should we use this open source platform called GitHub or why should we use this other open source platform called GitLab? That's what, again, I appreciate so much about the Carpentries. And I have to tell you, David, this type of collaborative environment is not what I was used to coming from industry, right? I was very much trained to create and release. You know, Um, there may be a couple of meetings, but, you know, as a designer or as as a lead on a manufacturing program, you create it, you run it. You get it out on time because it's going to cost money. Carpentries is very much different. We are all about feedback, collaboration, feedback. Did I mention feedback? (laughs) Hearing from the community, making sure that we have a diversity of perspectives in the room, not only, you know, individuals from R1, you know, research one institutions in the U.S., but indigenous persons persons who are living in remote areas who don't have access to, you know, the internet on a regular basis, right? And so I really like what you said. You took a step back. You know, what are the pros and cons? It's not just a matter of, should we use this or that? But what are we ultimately trying to accomplish in this lesson? And how does this lesson achieve our mission? So it's more than just, should we use GitHub or GitLab? Yeah. Yeah. And it's, um, of course, there's new technology always on the horizon and new curriculum on the horizon. Carrie, what is like a call to action you have for our listeners of the show today? Yes. My call to action is if you ever thought that you could never code, you thought wrong. I have been in your shoes. I shied away from programming for a very long time. And now I'm the executive director of a nonprofit that teaches foundational coding and data science skills. There is nothing to be afraid of because there is a community in the Carpentries that values you, that appreciates your contribution, and that appreciates your perspective. I want you to visit carpentries.org. Check out the opportunities that we have for mentoring See if there's a workshop. Uh, all of our workshops are online right now, actually. So this is actually a great opportunity and a great time for you to get involved or and try a workshop. And don't hesitate to contact us on Twitter at The Carpentries if you have any questions. We are always here to answer any questions you may have. The great thing about being a global community is that there's someone always awake paying attention. And so you can ask a question anytime and expect a response from one of our community members or from someone on the core team. Don't wait to get involved in coding. Don't wait. 
Dr. Carrie Jordan, Executive Director of The Carpentries. Thank you for joining us on The Humane Podcast. Thank you so much, David. Thank you for listening to this episode of The Humane Podcast. What do you think? Did the show measure up to your thoughts on artificial intelligence, data science, future of work, and developer education? Listeners, I want to hear from you so that I can offer you the most relevant, trend-setting, and educational content on the market. You can reach me directly by email at david at humanepodcast.com. Remember to share this episode with a friend, subscribe and leave a review on your preferred podcasting app, and tune in to more episodes of Humane. Introducing Wondersuite from Bluehost.com, the tool that makes WordPress wonderful for everyone. Website creation is hard, but now with Bluehost, you can answer a few simple questions about your business and goals, and the Wondersuite tools will automatically lay out your WordPress website or store in minutes. Seriously. From there, you can customize your design, pick your brand colors and add blocks, no custom theme or coding required. You'll get content suggestions that you can keep or revise. And with Yoast SEO built in, we automatically help you get found in search engines. From step-by-step guidance to suggested plugins to an AI-powered help bot, our built-in tools make WordPress wonderful for everyone. Whether you're a beginner or a pro, you can join over 2 million Bluehost users. Go to bluehost.com slash wondersuite. That's bluehost.com slash wondersuite.